Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theana Money. So this week we have a great interview planned for you all. It is with uh, Economics Daily, Econ underscore daily on Instagram. So if you don't follow them, Go over there and follow them on Instagram. There's a lot of great content. The guy who runs it is a great brother in the faith. And you get to spend the rest of this episode listening about all the great things we have to talk about. About work and work ethics and economics from a Christian perspective. But before we dive into all that, I just want to ask you all once again to... Subscribe to the podcast feed, like or heart or whatever your podcast catcher uses, the episodes, and follow us on social media and like and share our posts. So thank you, and let's dive into the interview. All right, so I am here with Luke from Econ Daily. That's Econ underscore daily on Instagram. I don't know how many of you all are familiar with his Instagram page, but if you're not, then you should go give him a follow. He posts a lot of great stuff from a lot of great economists, some believing economists, some people like Thomas Sowell that have been blessed with a lot of common grace, and we hope that God calls to himself. But I'm going to let Luke go ahead and give a bit of an introduction to himself. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for having me on uh, and all the work you do for God's kingdom. It's very important. Um, so for those who don't know me, my name is Luke Mishanya. I live in uh, Chester County, Pennsylvania. And I was homeschooled all my life. Um, and I currently am a senior uh, at Millersville University. I study business and economics and have really uh, gained an interest in economics really ever since I was 12 years old. Um, I was heavily influenced by Ron Paul, who was a former congressman um, uh, who ran for president as a Republican. Um, he brought some serious issues regarding the economy up, uh, the Federal Reserve, and the inflation that the Federal Reserve creates uh, through increasing the money supply. Um, after this, I was privileged to learn uh, on Ron Paul's curriculum. Uh, he had a homeschool curriculum, and I took uh, all kinds of courses there taught by Thomas Woods and Gary North, who were both historians, uh, really smart guys. Some of the classes uh, uh, a range from uh, English literature, economics, Western civilization, and American government. It was really at that time when I was like 12 years old that I really began to develop a real worldview of life and culture and politics. I really became increasingly critical of government intervention of the economy, and I realized that everything the government does does so by force and fiat, uh, while the market is voluntary and the market provides abundance of goods and services, um, which is really uh, good uh, as far as growing uh, families and the church as well. And the state can only redistribute that wealth uh, created by the market. Um, uh, I also read economists that were like libertarians, like Murray Rothbard, 
and I really got interested in like libertarian theory and I sort of became like a radical libertarian a little bit and and I, I sort of went down that road and I sort of hit hit uh, the end of that road and I was like you know ultimately God's word is the truth and the foundation for everything so why 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 should we want to be wealthy? Why should we, why is that a good thing? Why, why is it good to have voluntary interactions? Well, it comes down to God's word as the ultimate foundation for life. And I, that's when I started reading uh, people like Gary North and uh, even people like RJ Rushdoony really impacted me. Law and Liberty was a book that inf influenced my life a lot. I think that that has a lot of good, it's a good introduction to understanding that God's word is the standard for all of, all of life and uh, for economics, for family relations, and so forth. So yeah, that was, that was really my uh, introduction to theonomy and God's law. It really started understanding that, that God's word is the authority in life. That's cool. Yeah, I haven't really known about Gary North for that long. So you've known about him a lot longer than I have. I did before I discovered Gary North. Actually, this is a guy who is not a theonomist, but in one of the forewords for Bonson's Theonomy and Christian Ethics, he's cited as a non-theonomist who recognizes the validity of theonomy, which is interesting. Ronald Nash, he wrote, he was a Clarkian precept guy. He wrote Faith and Reason, which was actually a textbook in one of my apologetics classes in college when I basically became precept before I knew what precept was, I discovered Jeff Durbin like a month after I finished that class. And it was like, oh, I have a name for what I believe now. But he had a book he wrote back in the eighties on economics. That was really good. I'd read Thomas Sowell before then and reading his book was like, oh my gosh, this is like Thomas Sowell. If Thomas Sowell was a Christian, it's basically a Thomas Sowell book with Bible quotations. Even like almost 40 years ago when he wrote that book, he was talking about issues we're still dealing with today and basically saying, if these don't get fixed in the next like decade, then we will be probably beyond repair. And I was reading that thinking, oh, that's not good to read you saying this 30 or 40 years ago. He was talking about stuff like welfare and social security and basically how they're more or less a pyramid scheme. But that's really cool hearing you give a background to all of that. I think on the podcast before our listeners have already heard me talk about a bit how I became a theonomist. I don't know if I've ever really gotten into how I got interested in economics. Uh, part of that is I'm just a numbers guy. I love business. I love numbers. I originally went to college, a Bible college, to get a general biblical studies degree because I wanted to work at a church camp in Ohio where I used to work back in the day when I was in high school when I graduated and the director of the camp said, if I want to work there full time after I graduate, then just get a general biblical studies degree. I was going to the same, already planned going to the same college he went to. And then I had to get some kind of concentration. And so I was doing business and tech. Then um, the daughter-in-law of our president was in a uh, class with me in a group project. And she got me co connected with the chair of the business department. And then the chair of the business department got me to switch to getting an associate's in business on top of the bachelor's I was already getting. And then she got me to decide to just get my entire bachelor's in business. So I ended up doing that, uh, getting a bachelor's in business and an associate's in accounting. And that taught me a lot about business and economics. But actually, I think what got me to love economics wasn't so much the classes, but actually listening to Apologia, listening to Jeff Durbin and Marcus Pittman and Luke Pearson and guys like that got me to really just grow to love economics and what the Bible has to say about economics.
And so I was listening to them while getting a degree in business. And that involved a lot of studying economics at the time. So that kind of got me into all that. I think I read my first book by Thomas Sowell my senior year in college, which I didn't know at the time how much stuff on ethnicities Soul had written. I just knew he was a good economist because I had a couple of professors talk about how great he is. And so I read Wealth, what was it? Wealth, Poverty, and Politics. And I read that first Soul book shortly after, maybe like six months after I became aware of the issue of critical race theory in the church today. So it was like, oh, I started reading this guy because he's good on economics. And then I realized he's like this amazing resource on critical theory as well. So that was fun. And then, I don't know, passages like Psalm 2 really just helped me become a theonomist, listening to cross politic, listening to apologia, trying to think about how you know, Psalm 2 just doesn't seem to make sense if things like theonomy and post-mill aren't true. How, you know, I grew up dispensational premillennial. How can I square that away with passages like Psalm 2? Yeah, that is so true. And it's almost like you grow up as an Arminian and the same thing is like with dispensationalists, we just grow up that way. Mm -hmm. And it's like hard to get out of, but uh, eventually God, you know, just takes a, t takes his word and convicts us of the truth. Mm -hmm. But um yeah, that's definitely interesting. Like you came at economics from like a theological point of view, like you understood the foundation, the basis for work itself. And we'll get into that a little bit. But yeah, just as far as Genesis, um, yeah, God uh, created man to work. Every man was created to work, mm -hmm. um, even before the fall, uh, which is interesting, even though the fall, it just made man's work uh, more burdensome. Yeah, that's like um, Vody Bauckham. I don't know if you ever listened to him. He has a ton of great sermons and books on like marriage and family and stuff like that. I've read all three of his books on marriage and he, uh, he relayed to marriage and stuff. He talks about feminism a lot. Bodhi Bauckham was actually the one that first helped me see the connection between feminism and abortion and why the two were so tightly connected. And then now I work at Preborn, which some of the people listening to this podcast might be familiar with. If you also listen to Todd Friel, cause he talks about Preborn all the time. And they're a ministry that supports pregnancy clinics around the country. So uh, Vodi, and talking about feminism, he was saying how, um, oh man, I went on such a tangent. I lost the point I was about to say with this. Vodi talking about feminism was saying that when you look at the curse in Genesis, you see that the curse of the man was on his work. The curse of the woman was on her childbearing, like God's curse on each of the sexes correlates to some of the primary work God has given the sex to do. And so Vodi says with this whole feminist movement, it's like the feminists want the man and the woman's curse to fall on them, not just the woman's curse. And he said he was counseling, doing premarital counseling or marital counseling with a couple once. And I think the guy wanted to be a stay-at-home dad while his wife worked and Vodi made some comment like, Oh, so you want your wife to experience the curse of the fall for both sexes while you experience neither one of them. And his fiance or wife, I don't remember if this was when they were engaged or already married. She just kind of gave the guy a look like, yeah, how are you going to respond to that? So, well, yeah, that's all getting back to like, we were made for work. Men were made to provide for their families. That's why the curse on Adam is really more a curse on the ground than it is a curse on Adam because Adam is supposed to be working the ground to provide for his family, to provide shelter and food and things like that. 
Yes, for sure. Yeah, I definitely agree. As far as the curse, yeah, the feminism, it just wants to overturn that order, the biblical order as far as uh, men and work. And although it's not like wrong for women to uh, work or provide for their family, I mean, Proverbs 31 talks about this as far as the household and, and, and doing certain things around the household that could help the family grow. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's important, but the feminism and these real false doctrines or false views of, of reality um, have really affected b- both the biblical view of economics and the biblical view of the family. And I think that really relates to something like Rush Dooney would say, which is that the family uh, is the sole provider of property, really. And, and they're linked, the family and property, mm-hmm. uh, ever since uh, like the Old Testament times. Uh, the father was the head of, you know, certain properties, and he gave uh, his land to the firstborn, usually. And uh, this sort of, this sort of was uh, the system in the Old Testament, and it's important, and I think that feminism really undercuts it and denies it. Yeah, I was just listening to Rush Dooney a week ago, and he was talking about how husbands and fathers have a property right in their wives and children, but wives and children have a property right in the husband father because he bears the responsibility of making sure they're taken care of. So then they look back to him to be taken care of. So he was talking about how people today, well, he was saying people today, but for him, people today was like 40 years ago. He was saying that they're thinking, oh, this idea is so horrible that they used to say that men have a property right over their wives and children. Well, yes, but they also at the same time said wives and children have a property right back on their husband. Kind of like when Paul says to the husband and to the wife that your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the other. Right, in 1 Corinthians 7. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense, I think. that It's consistent, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, we're wanting to dive into, we already have a little bit, the idea of this Protestant work ethic. And I think we're giving a good foundation in that work is important. And then I'm going to ask where you want to go next. But before I ask that, I want to say uh, something I heard recently. I don't remember where I saw this. I saw this on social media like a week ago. It was probably Brian Sauvey or Michael Foster. And they were talking about since men were made to work, work didn't start with the fall. Work started in the garden. It was just a perfect work. It was work without thorns and thistles before the fall. Adam was supposed to take care of the garden to make sure things went well in it and then to make all the earth resemble the garden of Eden and how perfect it is. And so the work has always been there. It just became harder with the fall. Just like how if Adam and Eve had gone long enough without eating the forbidden fruit, Eve eventually would have given birth before the fall. She still would have given birth. There just wouldn't have been no pain yet because the fall hadn't happened. It didn't mean that before the fall, Eve couldn't have kids or anything like that. Just like Adam still works just without the fall making it more difficult before that happened. And so because of that, because men were made to work, to provide for their family, to take responsibility, then Sauvey or Foster or whoever it was, was talking about how men can get depressed, like a man who's being lazy, who's not working. And now if you're someone who's had some kind of horrible injury, if you're a quadriplegic, then I'm not trying to say you're being horrible for not taking care of your family. Like, obviously there is some kind of circumstance there that changes things, but the typical able-bodied man needs to be working to provide for his family. And God has so written that into us that 
men are often depressed if they're being lazy, that that lack of work, that laziness will actually lead men to be depressed because it's so written into their DNA to work, to conquer, to take dominion and provide for those they care about, whether direct family like wives and children or extended family, aging parents, even members in the church they aren't related to. Yeah, that is definitely true, Jeremy. And we're just getting off to the point where we're denying like what Paul says as far as if you if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. You know, mm-hmm. if a man, a father or a head of a household doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. Uh, the times these days where churches are allowing this, uh, whether it's through welfare, they allow like families, you know, to just and not rebuke or, or correct or train, equip families really of these issues and how they're related. Um, I think that's really important. Also in Genesis, not only was uh, work uh, there before the fall, but God's law was there. Uh, This is something that Bone talked about in his sermons on feminism. He talked about how God's law to uh, not uh, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there and that man could perfectly obey God. And this is, again, comes down to all these things are related. God's law is related to uh, working and uh, providing for your families, as well as just the, the entire economy, for sh- and, and national economy, but also uh, family economies. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good. It has not been very long, and I think we've already covered quite a bit of stuff. Were there some other things you were wanting to get into? Um, it, it depends. Like, if you want to talk a little bit about apologetics, that's something that really is, I think, foundational. We could talk a little bit about that if you want. Um, yeah, let's just make this a bit of a smorgasbord episode with a lot of stuff. I mean, I think that the presuppositional worldview leads to theonomy. It leads to presupp apologetics. I think it leads to biblical counseling or newthetic counseling, if you want to use the older term. So sure, I think we can talk about apologetics fine because it all relates back to theonomy. Yeah, for sure. Like I was introduced to presuppositionalism by Eric Hovind. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah, I know him. And I, I know his dad too, <laughs> but his dad isn't presupp for sure. That's true. Yeah. 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 He, and even him, I don't know if he's like our sort of form, but he, he sort of uh, gave a good presentation and uh, sort of beginning for me. Like I didn't know what presuppositionalism was and I saw some deb- debates with him and he's with Ken Ham. And I think that they are really faithful to God's word. And I really was uh, like sort of uh, motivated by their defense of scripture. And also through uh, James White's teaching, James White has a lot of great debates and great content. uh, And the dividing line, I think, is a really good source for understanding apologetics. And I like that about James White. I think that he really made the defense of the faith, you know, his life goal and his mission, like his sort of, that is his ministry, uh, defend the Bible. And I think that really uh, is helpful because Christians, that is the foundation. The Bible's our, our foundation, ultimately. And it is in our reasoning, it is in evidence. These things are all, these are all fallible because man is fallible. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, cause I grew up pretty fundamentalist. I remember, cause I like Todd Friel. I wasn't a Calvinist. I thought Calvinism was bad. The KJV is the best translation, although the others are okay. They're just not as good as the KJV. And I saw that video that Todd Frio and James White released probably almost a decade ago now, 
where James White is arguing against the other translations. And I like hated that video so much. And then I spent freshman year in Bible college studying the Bible to prove Calvinism wrong and came out a Calvinist and studied textual criticism to prove the King James was the most reliable and came out of that not using the KJV anymore. Now I'm planning on switching to the LSB once the full thing comes out. Yeah, so I use the ESV. I'm not really sure of the differences, but I've heard like Gary North has commented on some of the language with the KJV is very uh, different than the language we use sort of today. I think that that some people find that helpful for different reasons. But as far as memorization, I've always memorized the ESV. I don't know if you have done that, but yeah, I've been in like uh, Bible quizzing, I, I participated in, and I think that memorizing scripture is yeah, really helpful. And I think that finding the right translation can really help you in your like devotionals or whether it's just week to week, it's, it's, I think it's good to find a, a translation that fits uh, your memorization skills. Yeah, I use the ESV for probably three or four years in my primary one after I left the KJV. I think the ESV, the legacy standard and the new American standard, just switch, stay with the 77 or the 95. Don't go to the 2020 on the new American standard. I think those three are all good translations, probably the three best in English. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. I used to really like answers in Genesis and, uh, high school. So I was like getting trained on precept years before I knew what precept was. So I think in high school, I was some like weird mixture of evidentialism and precept at the same time, because I feel like in American cultural Christianity, evidentialism is just kind of the air you breathe with guys like William Lane Craig being popular. Not that I even knew who he was back then, but I'm sure I was influenced by people who were influenced by him because of his popularity and stuff like that. So I think most people in America by default are probably more evidentialist, but I was probably some kind of mixture because at the same time I loved Ken Ham and I would repeat some of their things they'd say that now looking back, I recognize were pre-sup, but I didn't know it at the time. And there was just that apologetics class in college using Ronald Nash. And then like within a month or two after I finished that class, I started listening to the dividing line and Apologia radio. And then those just basically gave me a name for what I was starting to believe and helped me be more consistent with it. Yeah, the same was true with me, like, as far as, like, looking at William Lane Craig, like, he was, like, one of the only popular Christian debaters or whatever, and it's, like, this guy doesn't even believe in Genesis today, mm -hmm. and uh, that's something that Kent Ham has stood on all his life, and, you know, that that is his Answers in Genesis is his program, and I think that they really have uh, given a great uh, defense of the faith uh, for believers and families. And I liked what they're doing in Canada. Some of their videos out, the Answers in Genesis Canada is uh, creating some videos that are really important. Uh, I think Joe Boot is helping them with that. Uh, he's another presuppositional cultural philosopher who really is engaging the culture. He may not get as many views as someone like William Wayne Craig, but he really is uh, defending the faith in a biblical manner. And I think that some of his uh, writings and content is really good if you don't know who Joe Boot is. Yeah, he's really good. And I think uh, Jeff Durbin's helping him get more attention now that he's been on, on Apology or Radio a few times. I think if we go much longer, we're going to start just rambling on random stuff. So is there anything you wanted to wrap up um, talking about economics and then talk about your Instagram page a little bit too? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to get the message out as far as uh, God's law as the standard for our lives and that God's word uh, defines what is right and what is wrong. 
and we know what the, the government is doing today in the United States largely is wrong. And uh, as Christians, we can stand up for justice, and that's what I want to do. Um, so my uh, economics page is this econ-daily on Instagram, um, and I really appreciate a follow, and I really want to thank you, Jeremy, for having me on today. Yeah, it's good. I love your page. I can't remember. I think I maybe just randomly ran across it one day or something. I don't know, but it's really good. I like the stuff you do. And it's cool seeing economics pages that have a decent group of followers out there that are actually like Christian-based economics pages, not some random secular economics that just happen to have some decently conservative economic viewpoints, but like explicitly Christian ones. Like Walter Williams, when I have, I need to listen to more Walter Williams, but I like that he's basically, well, was now he's in eternity, but he was basically a Christian version of Thomas Sowell. And the two of them are really close friends. Yeah, for sure. I like Walter. Yeah, he was a great guy. He wrote a lot um, in the 80s and 90s. And he was a real, one of those guys that really came out against the welfare state early on. And I think that God really blessed his work. And the same is true with Thomas Sowell. God really blessed them as far as their uh, consistency against the welfare state. Yeah, it's great to see the work that guys like that are doing. And interestingly enough, because of common grace, Thomas Sowell is basically promoting a biblical view of economics and doesn't even realize he's doing it. I want to do a history of our free market systems today because I've seen a little bit of stuff about how Geneva and the influence of Calvin actually did a lot to help us develop the free market that we at least used to have in America still kind of have are having less and less of each year. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely as the result of Christianity. I mean, mm-hmm. people have to be insane to think that it was the result of sectorism. Uh, the free market is God's grace to us. And I mean, the Puritan work ethic is right there in the history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really great. Well, it was great talking to you. And uh, maybe uh, we'll have you on again sometime. And maybe if you decide to start a podcast and I can be on yours. Yeah, for sure. Thank you very much. Yeah. So everyone go follow econ. Is it dash or underscore? I think it's underscore. Okay. Econ underscore daily on Instagram. And then are you on Twitter or Facebook or Gab or anything like that? I am on Twitter. Um, You could find me there just economics daily. All right. Then yeah. So everyone go give him a follow and I will see you all next week on the podcast. All right, thanks for listening to that interview with Econ Daily. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace. Satisfies me Your law is sweet Oh, you say